The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. All right, we continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson with you. Dylan Michaels heading up until 2 o'clock. Joined now by Matt Derrick, Chiefs Digest. 41 is the Mike Podcast. He's presented by Cap One Lending. The Freedom Loan at Cap One Lending is the exclusive loan that helps you pay your home off in less than half the time and gives you access to your home's equity without having to refinance. Go to CapOneLending.com. Matt, welcome into the show. How are you, sir? I am doing Decently, Jason. Yeah. I, you, you and uh, you and Lebo did have me trying to read the collective bargaining agreement on my way oh. in. This, so, so. <laughs> While it was snowing, okay. stoplights, CBA, CBA. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> okay, let me drive. Sorry about that. Hey, don't honk too. I'm trying to read the CBA up here. I apologize. Uh, has anybody else honked at a car that was sitting at a red light that the car in front of them that apparently was reading the CBA? I don't know that that's ever happened before. Just randomly reading the collective bargaining agreement. I'm sure it's probably <laughs> happened. I mean, there's got to be. I mean, oh, no. I mean, maybe maybe the Katz brothers have done it. I don't know. <laughs> no, they've never read it. <laughs> Let's be honest. As have. I say, safe to say they have not. <laughs> they have yet to read that thing. Uh, but thank you for uh, for coming in today, sir. Um, I do want to start on the, uh, the, the somber note, and then we'll get into football. Um, you know, everybody has their, their different experience of, of what took place. I'm just curious of uh, what yours was. On uh, on Wednesday, when um, what was such a celebratory day and just a fun day, an awesome day, that uh, turned into something uh, completely different. Yeah, I, um, I was at home. I mean, for my job, which I was going to be covering the the speeches and what the mm-hmm. players had to say at the parade. So doing that at the parade is difficult to impossible. Right. I mean, hearing anything. There's no place to work afterwards or anything of that nature. So you know, I've I've learned. To the best way to cover the parade, unfortunately, is from home. I yeah. mean, you get you get obviously excellent audio. I've got I can work from there and everything. So you miss out a little bit. But I was watching and I heard the the pops on the broadcast, and then saw Kevin Holmes and I think Caitlin New- Newtony was there, and um, Mick. then Mick was and Mick was there, yeah. and and then you know, but, but Kevin started talking about the. The crowd's running. And he's like, there's a commotion and or there's something like, going on here. Yeah. And so then you just go into reporter mode of just trying to find out what's going on and get the information out there. I mean, there's still a lot that we've got to learn. Yeah. Don't know everything yet. And there'll be lessons to learn, things that mm-hmm. we'll take away from this, whether it's, you know, for an event like this in a public event or whether it's the bigger issues in our community, we'll find out the information and I'm I'm hoping we'll act on that information down the road. But, you know, one thing there's been a debate about that I've heard the last few days, and, and I hope that on this one we can kind of come together. And I get it, you know, absolutely, that there's going to be a lot of people in our community who are permanently changed yeah. from this, whether they were personally or directly affected or not. Maybe they were indirectly affected. Maybe you just saw what happened, and it changes your perspective on things. I get that. I mean, absolutely I, I completely get it. I I was that way in college. I was a senior with the Oklahoma City bombing to happen. 
and just a month away from graduating. And at that point, you know, my plan was to go into reporting. I was going to be a reporter and everything. And watching the coverage of the Oklahoma City bombing, I I was like, I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know that, you know, and seeing all these people in need, all these people who are scared, all of this just absolute chaos around them, I could not take a camera and put it in somebody's face. I could not be doing that. I couldn't, I mean, I would want to be helping. I would want to be mm-hmm. doing something. I couldn't just, you know, even though that would be the job, would be the story. It would be, story. be part of helping is telling the story and get all <laughs> the, uh, the the different in, information out there of the, the firsthand accounts. I just realized that was going to be too difficult. And, yeah. and even though that would be, you know, once in a lifetime horrific event, mm-hmm. still, I mean, I, I I I could not do that. And you know, I just I knew it that direction. So you know, I, my my career took a different path sure. because of that. And you know, and hey, I I realize I'm what I'm doing right now. It's not. It's, I'm not changing the world. I mean, it's sports journalism. You know, it's it's a diversion. Yeah. We absolutely, hopefully, give people a diversion in their lives most of the time. But, I mean, I get it's not the most important thing in the world. And I probably, you know, it's, it's moments like these that I, I feel like I should probably be doing something different with my life, something more productive, something more contributing to the community. Um, I definitely always feel like that. But after events like this, I'm like, I why am I on the sidelines? Why aren't, why aren't I doing more? I mean, I should be. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going a lot of different ways here, Jason. But I wanted to culminate with this, which is that I hope that because I know there's been a lot of talk about whether you know there ever be another parade or whether other cities will do parades after this. I I hope we do. I hope yeah. they continue to do them. Me I mean, if the Chiefs threepeat, I hope that the parade next year is just as big, if not bigger. I mean, you can't you can't let fear change everything you Mm -hmm. can't let it take away the the joys in your life and the little things and i think we do a pretty good job of that the most of the time but you know i mean it's that's the thing is that you know this was as you said i mean it was a it was a joyous day it was a great day for the community until that happened everybody was having fun that can happen again you know this is hopefully an isolated incident that wouldn't happen going forward. Hopefully there's things like, you know, we, I talked about at the beginning that we'll learn lessons and can move move on from that and maybe make things better in the city in which we live. But you just you can't let things like this change the way that you, mm-hmm. you live your life and, and the joy that you take from life. And I hope that we I hope we are able to do that. Yeah, I was talking. Um, so uh, on on Wednesday night, uh, talking with my son and sort of trying to get his perspective and processing because we were down there and then, you know, hearing everything that, um, you know, on the radio and stuff and then getting home and seeing the TV coverage and all of that stuff. And, and um, he obviously knew he's eight years old, knew what was going on. And um, you know, getting, uh, you know, uh, trying to talk with him and seeing how he was feeling and processing everything on Wednesday night. And he had talked about how, you know, he was scared. And, uh, and I said, it's natural, you know, for you to be scared. Um, you know, you're learning things about the world every day, um, learning things in school. You're getting more and more life experiences and everything. And so I said, you know, it's natural, natural to be scared. And, you know, he had questions and everything like that. And then yesterday when I got home, he didn't have school and then checking on him again. And I was like, hey, you know, how are you feeling today? And he's like, still scared. And, um, and everything. And he said, then he said, daddy, one of the kids was eight years old. They got shot. And I said, I know, I know, Bubba. Um, and I said, um, you know, Lisa who passed away, she was 43. I mean, that's my age. Um, and maybe I shouldn't have said that cause that made him even more sad, but you know, and then he huge hug, right. And we embrace and I, and one of the things that I wanted to convey to him and I said, you know, it's okay to be scared. I said, but it can't let you 
or make you stop living your life. Like we still need to enjoy life. And that means if we go places, we go places and have fun. It means if we go back to Disney World or Disneyland that we're having fun. It means if we go on vacation somewhere, it means if we go to a concert, it means if we go different places that we want to enjoy life. But it's also why whenever we leave, we always say I love you. We always, uh, you know, do that. So we know how much everybody means to each other because, you know, you never know. But but that's part of living your life, Bubba, um, is, is just that. And the you know you're scared right now and it's unfortunate and i said but unfortunately uh, that that we have sort of let your generation down in that three years of your life you've done active shooter drills at school and i said you know the police officers have done those drills and they're enacting that and it's becoming you know real life for them and that's why they train that's why they do those things and i said that's why you guys do those things at school and in two years when he's 10 years old half of his life will have been doing active shooter drills in school because he would be in school for five years of his, uh, I mean, he was five years old when he, um, you know, got to uh, elementary school in November birthday. I mean, I'm like, you know, you've been doing this for, for three years of your life now. You're in, you know, second grade. You've had kindergarten, first grade, second grade. You've been doing this. Um, this is part of it. But it doesn't mean you need to be scared going to school. It doesn't mean you need to be scared doing those things. It's okay to be scared now, and we'll continue to talk about it. And there's no playbook. I have no idea if that was right or not. No clue. Maybe that was the worst thing to say to him. I have no idea. Um, you know, I'll find out in 20 or 30 years, you know, if uh, we'll find out then if we did so. You know, when he yells at me when he's a teenager and tells me everything's my fault, then I'll, I'll figure out whether or not it was the right thing to do or not. I mean, Jason, I'm scared all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, there's no I doubt about too. that. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm scared right now. I mean, yeah. I get scared talking to you on the radio. That makes I, sense. I get scared, you know, repeatedly. But, you know, you can't, yeah, you can't let it control yeah. you. I mean, yep. there's, and, 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 hey, there are things that you can do to help overcome it. There's mm-hmm. people out there who will help you. Absolutely. Can't be afraid to ask for help. Yep. I've asked for help, and it's usually been the best decisions I've ever made. Yep. And I would say, but ditto. And, and I would say that, um, you know, uh, people parent, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm breaking news or telling any parents something that they haven't already done, but make sure you're just talking to them just to get their perspective yeah. as, you know, make sure they're telling. Because if I didn't talk to him, I wouldn't know that he's scared and things, but but just talking to him and 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 hopefully it helps him, you know, getting those emotions out and, and uh, letting people know that. But I'm with you that um, if they win it next year, I hope there's a parade. St. Patrick's Day parade. I hope those continue, um, and and people go out and show. Because you know what, the Boston Marathon continued, and and they showed year after year that that's not going to keep them from living their lives and enjoying their lives, and live in fear that they are going to overcome that and not let those actions win uh, that took place. Because that's what was trying to be accomplished there. This one was different then it doesn't seem to be anything terror-related um, other than, you know, a dispute that took place. Um, and I'm not sure that they were trying to, you know, enact terror and, and fear into everybody so that, you know, they can get some ideological, you know, viewpoint across. But it still doesn't mean that, you know, we can't move forward and not let that particular part of life win. And, and, and like I said, I mean, even though I, I feel like what I do for a living may be not the most important thing in the world, I'm at least enough of a student of history and, and this industry to know that hey, sports can be a way for you to escape and mm-hmm. for things to get better. Yep. You know, baseball was never more popular than it was during the 30s and 40s, and it pers- particularly in the 40s, because people had the war. 
baseball thrived during the war. The president of the United States sent a letter to the commissioner of baseball saying you can't shut down baseball because people need it. They need the diversion. They need to be able to go into the paper and look at the box scores and find out what's going on. You know, New York, the World Series after after September 11th Mm -hmm. was such an incredible piece of that city healing and for everybody just moving forward. And I mean, I mean the Boston Boston Marathon bombing. I mean, David Ortiz will go down as <laughs> that mm-hmm. speech will go down as one of the best speeches in history. Yeah. And I would fully expect that. Hey, you know what? If the if the Chiefs had decided to do a rally at Arrowhead this weekend, I'm sure that Travis Kelsey would be up there screaming about this mm-hmm. is our freaking city. And yeah. Yep. I'm I'm in agreement. And you know what? If they were doing that, I'd love to attend. Um, yep. I don't know that my son would go uh, yep. at this point. But and I understand that. And I would totally understand. And I would understand in the future if people go, I'm never going back to a parade. Sure. I totally get that, I get too. That. I doesn't mean, mean we shouldn't have one. Yeah, people live uh, live the lives that they feel like is best suited you know, for them to live their lives. Uh, Matt Derrick, ChiefsDigest.com, 41 is the Mike podcast. We will make the transition into uh, actual sports and try to you know, enjoy that aspect of it and still celebrate this team. And try to separate the two between this team and and what happened this year, and give that break, you know, that uh, little bit of uh, reprieve from life and uh, and and real life things, and and play in the sandbox a little bit more, and have fun with our fun. Um, it's still surreal to say back to back. Yeah, like it's it's almost a week now, and just like back to back, because last year at the parade. The players on stage saying, you know, Patrick Mahomes, we'll see you here again next year. Chris Jones chanting, run it back. It's just what people say at parades. It's just what the, every everybody in a parade says. We're going to do it again yeah. next year. Let's do it. We'll see you back here next year. We're going to win again. It's just what you say. For two decades, people have been saying that uh, in many different sports, but certainly in football. And and they went and done that. Uh, went and did that. They have done that. They went. They went and done that. They went and done that. <laughs> they done that. They, they, they got her they, done. They uh, they they done went and won, um, but they got it done. And it's still surreal to think about saying back to back champions for this now dynasty of the Kansas City Chiefs era. It is. I mean, I, 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 I can at one at, at the same time I find myself completely and totally understanding it and not being surprised mm-hmm. by it at all and then the other side being completely stunned. I mean, we've been we were talking about this throughout most of the regular season that especially once things got kind of rough for this team, I could still see an entire range of outcomes from this team bowing out in the wild card round mm-hmm. to winning a Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's not a surprise. You've got Patrick Mahomes, but I think that's that's at least to me, you know, I keep getting asked, you know, what I'll learn about this and what's, you know, the, what's maybe a lot of lesson going forward. And, I mean, to me, it's the the words of Marty Schottenheimer are finally ringing true, which is that you get in the tournament and anything can happen. Only thing is that you have to have the quarterback. Yeah, you get in the tournament with 15. If your defense can get Mm -hmm. you into the tournament, you know, maybe that's all you need, and then turn it over to 15. Um, Because anything can happen. And that's to me, is just the, the most remarkable thing about this is just it's this team, it's resiliency, it's coaching, it's players. Um I mean, for them to have struggled as they did throughout the regular season, particularly the offense, and frankly, all of those flaws absolutely coming forward on on the first half. I mean, everything that they did wrong during the regular season, they did in the first half of that football game offensively. And then to just flip a switch 
after the Mahomes interception, beginning of the second half, and then just absolutely play flawless football is absolutely mind-boggling to me. It is, and, it, and it's um, you know uh, eerie in that it's uh, a recall to the 49ers Chiefs Super Bowl in Super Bowl 54 in that the Chiefs were struggling with only 10 points, and then it was third and 15, and they're able to have a break in the action because of the review of, of the, uh, the incomplete pass to Tyreek Hill, and we know famously now Jet Chip Wasp, and just that play from then on is completely different. They they go down and they have three straight drives of scoring touchdowns. And next thing you know, they end up winning by 11 points, you know, 31 to 10 or 31 to 20 and down by 10 points and struggling to that point in the game and just looking different. And Patrick Mahomes in this Chiefs offense, the first time they scored a touchdown was from 16 yards. I mean, the punt that landed and hit the foot of the um, of the special teamer for the 49ers, and then Ray Ray McLeod could not uh, secure, and Jalen Watson, one heck of a fumble recovery on that, running as fast as he was, and then to scoop it with his right hand while falling and getting hit by a 49er, that was great. Um, but that um, that 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 ends up you know being such a turning point in the game, and then the Chiefs just you know sort of. Flawless from that point, just playing great football and converting and Mahomes making the reads and making the throws and the offensive line opening up holes and getting outside a couple of times for, you know, Isaiah Pacheco when they weren't really able to do that at different times. Like it was it was uh, eerily similar to a degree of the first 49ers Super Bowl. And I'm, I'm assuming the 49ers, if they play the Chiefs again in the Super Bowl, do not want a 10 point lead. Don't go up by 10 <laughs> points in the game. Try, you know what you should do? Give them a 10-point lead. Start out by allowing a touchdown and a field goal on the first two drives and then go. And then and then get rolling and say, it's our turn. Now we're down by 10 points. This is different. And that's and I was going back to make sure I had my, my thoughts here correct and make sure I had my numbers. I think my numbers are even worse than I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um, because... After the after the Mahomes turnover, I mean that's the moment that I was like, mm, man, this was, maybe they're not. I mean, mm-hmm. I was completely convinced even in the first half, being where they were and everything score wise, it's like, man, the Forty ers should be up by more. Yep. So the fact that they're not, the fact that this defense has gotten a couple of big stops, you've gotten the offense exactly, and if the Chiefs get offensively can go out there and score in that first possession, and they hear the Forty ers playing maybe the best that they can possibly play against this team, and they had a lead, had a chance for it to be bigger, and now here they are, don't even have the football yet in the second half, and they're already down. I mean, I was thinking that would have been it. I mean, Chiefs would have just run away. And then they turn over, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, this is going to be a little bit more of a struggle. I mean, maybe yeah. it will be the final 10 minutes of the game again, you know, like it was in 54 before this team wakes up. We'll see what happens. And then the 49ers come out, and Purdy throws the ball in the first throw, the first play of their drive. And I'm like, what in the freaking world mm-hmm. is Kyle Shanahan doing here? I mean, you know, and, and the reality of it was is that he's sitting there thinking to himself, okay, I got to I gotta score as many points as I can against these guys. It's not like gonna I got to lead. Quick change, we're going to go and get them. I, it's not like I got to lead and I need to milk it here. He was like, nope, I need to put these guys, I need to throw, I need to throw the knockout punch. And they took a big, a big old swing at the Chiefs, and they missed. And when you do that, I mean, it's like it's like the saying goes: you go at the king, mm-hmm. you better get him down. And they didn't. So what? I think the Forty ers threw the ball, or at least had dropbacks on eight of their first nine plays of the second half. Yeah, McCaffrey gets one run. I mean, and they're going to throw the ball to him at least once in that stretch too. But the fact that 
your first nine plays, and you go obviously go three and out in those nine plays three times, and you've got eight dropbacks, and when you're leading the game, and you've got Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, what in the world are you doing, Kyle Shanahan? I mean, absolutely just played the Chiefs back into that game. The first 13 plays, one, two, three, four runs in their first 13 plays after that interception. So the the next 13 plays, I should say. So the, after that interception for 13 plays, they ran the ball four times. Um, and 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 Leo Chanel, that, that, that play action, I mean, Chanel just comes right through untouched and forces that, that incompletion. And then you get the false start. You get incompletion. Um, and then you get the uh, sack by, uh, or not the sack, but but uh, Willie Gay was there as the spy, and and that's something else that that we can talk about. And you know, there's so many different takeaways from this game. Is that you know each and every third down, the Chiefs had a spy on Brock Purdy. Spagnola was not going to let his legs beat them. He was not no. going to fall into the trap no. of what the. Uh, Lions had happened to them in the second half. If Brock Purdy was going to run, there was going to be a spy. And they had already had that sort of defense three weeks ago with the Bills and two weeks ago with the Ravens, and now with Brock Purdy, the least athletic of those three, that we're going to have a spy there, and that guy's not going to get outside. He's not Lamar Jackson to be able to turn the corner. He's not Josh Allen to be able to break a tackle. That we're going to have a guy there, and when the guy gets there, they're going to bring him down. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. Willie Gay chasing down Brock Purdy, Justin Reed chasing down Brock Purdy in the second half on third downs when he tried to get out and scramble. Those things did not result in first downs where they did against the Lions. And yeah. and that wasn't going to happen. There's just so many different things about this. As we take a break, um, how would you describe this the Super Bowl run? You know, it, it's is it improbable? I mean, unlikely, impressive, um, inevitable. You know, like it doesn't have to be one word. But <laughs> oh, those are definitely just like, there's definitely a Thanos kind of you know <laughs> right, element to it for sure. Right. But I mean, from from the beginning of the season, they were the Super Bowl favorites. To being six and one, getting ready for the Eagles, and it was going to be a Super Bowl rematch or a Super Bowl preview. To then getting beat by the Raiders, and okay, this is just not the year. To then going on the toughest road that anybody has ever taken in the playoffs to win a Super Bowl uh, and to get it done. I mean, I, w- I would say Cinderella esque if I really thought this team was an underdog, but you know, this yeah. team's never it should never really be an underdog. You can't be the defending champions and be an underdog. So I don't know if I can say that storybook is about the best I think yeah. I can come up with because, I mean, if you're making a movie, I mean, it's fantastic. You know, you really – you get the the that Raiders game. And like you said, it was only a six-point loss. Six-point loss. It felt like – it felt so bad at the oh, time. Yeah. It's so I terrible. Mean, like, they lost by six. As as much as we continue to lament that and the game theme just talks about how, you know, that was a butt-kicking, you know, you really expect to just go back and, re- and think to yourself, yeah, that was – Oh, the Raiders put a whooping on him, forty-two to ten. I mean, they weren't even in that thing, and then be like, "Yeah, it was a six-point loss." Well, okay, maybe that wasn't as much, but no, I mean that. There's no doubt. I mean, that team was down. I just remember, even in the locker room that week, it was incredibly quiet. I mean, there wasn't the mm-hmm. usual. I mean, it was, and it, but it wasn't somber. It was just serious. I mean, you could get that. Hmm. You, I didn't get. I didn't get the sense in the locker room that week that the, the guys were depressed or anything of that nature. That they were down, but it was just like you could just tell that this was a team that had, was doing some soul searching that week. Yeah, that they were really kind of digging down. That there was kind of a renewed focus and just digging in. Wasn't a group that felt like that they got their 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 tail between their legs or anything of that nature. And you know, you didn't feel like this was. You know, Dad, Andy Reid coming in and reading the riot act, 
I mean, this was a group that, you know, realized that they messed up, mm-hmm. that they were in that situation themselves. And the only way out of it was getting serious, putting their head down, working hard, getting out of it. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the splash of cold water when, you know, the Chiefs score to make it six and the Raiders get the ball back and you got two timeouts and they just run it down your throat and and then uh, take knees and, and in the game. And it's like, yeah, because uh, the, the entire fourth quarter, I'm like, okay, they're going to figure this out. They're going to figure this out. And then they scored. and like, okay, three minutes to go. They got two timeouts. This is just what's going to happen. Chiefs are going to get the stop, uh, stop the run. They know they're going to run the ball. They're going to stop the run. The Chiefs are going to get the ball back. They're going to win 21-20. Until they didn't. And then it was, how depressing. And you ruined my Christmas. And just know? think. I mean, all these times that we're talking about right now, Kyle Shanahan throwing the football there at the beginning <laughs> of the first half. And frankly, even the last play, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have thrown the ball in that situation because I think the last thing I want to do in that spot right there is stop the clock for the Chiefs. Well, and um, are you talking about third and four, uh, the last play of regulation for them? For them. Yeah, right. I see what you're saying. I thought yeah. maybe you were thinking about uh, the last play of overtime for them uh, where it's like, okay, if they run the ball and you pick up a couple of yards, now you make it a manageable fourth down conversion or at least attempt. And you say, look, we need to score a touchdown here. But that's the issue with receiving it first is that you don't have the information. And they had three. And, and, and at the end of regulation on that last drive of their or their own, I mean, Brock Purdy's looking over there. And, and you've seen you've seen the formation that the Chiefs put out there, what's, what Spags had put out there. Yep. Brock Purdy had three timeouts left yeah. at that spot. How he can look over there and see that formation and not say to himself, gee, I need a timeout because I have no idea what in the world these guys are getting ready to do to me. Yep. I mean. They're going to come from somewhere. I mean, this sure. is a formation I've never seen before. This is an unscouted look. Get me. Eject. Eject. Yeah. Get me out of here. Because if. And that, but that once again comes back to details and preparation. I mean, did, did Kyle Shanahan at some point tell Brock Purdy, hey, there's going to be a point in the last two minutes of this game, last four minutes of this game, that Spags is going to throw something at you you've never seen before. And you got timeout, use it. Yeah. You know, let's get out of it. We'll think about it. But Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. And Spags did it. Uh, and McDuffie did it. And that defense. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, continue rolling with uh, Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest. 41 is the Mike Podcast, presented by Cap One Lending. More zone next. All right, we continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson hanging out with Matt Derrick, Chiefs Digest. 41 is the Mike Podcast. He's presented by Cap One Lending. Freedom Loan at Cap One Lending, the exclusive loan that helps you pay your home off in less than half the time, gives you access to your home's equity without having to refinance. Go to CapOneLending.com. Chiefs on Wednesday announced before the parade that um, Steve Spagnolo returning to the Kansas City Chiefs and we find out on Monday that Joe Cullen very quietly signed another year contract with the Chiefs. Um, and I think that might have even been before the Super Bowl, but we find out on Monday that that's what happened. Um, I wasn't expecting Steve Spagnuolo to go anywhere, um, but it's good to have the information and to know that Spags isn't going anywhere, Joe Cullen isn't going anywhere, Dave Merritt has kids still in high school, right? I mean, this is a defensive staff that the continuity is going to be there, and that's 
I mean, I'll just add, I think obviously it's significant, but I'll just ask you how significant is it for this team that may be having to rebuild some parts of their defense if Chris Jones and Legereus need either one or both are not on this team next year? Huge. I mean, exactly. And you, you've hit on it. And, and even I think, and Joe Cullen's going to even be more important because it's not just Chris Jones. I mean, it's Mike Dan is a free agent, Tershawn Warden, Derek Naughty. Well, Men who's on the pup list. Men who's going to be on the pup list up yeah. to start the season. I mean, you're you're right now. You're talking about. I mean, you're two guys under contract on the outside, and under team control. I mean, throw Millie Herring in there. Okay, you've mm-hmm. got George Karloftis and and Felix. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd go I'd go in the battle with those guys, but you are going to need to rebuild that almost entire defensive line, maybe depending on how many of these guys you can bring back. But you got to be ready for the prospect of that. Yeah. And there's nobody better than that at Joe Cullen. I mean, obviously. I mean, I think he's pretty much proven he should, if he's not, he should be considered the best defensive line coach in the league. Um, and then the secondary, I mean, you're still going to have most of your core guys around. But, you know, if you got to replace Legereus, yeah. And right now, there, I don't think there's a better defensive backs coach in the league than Dave Merritt, mm-hmm. especially what he's been able to do with taking – the players who have the skill set that Spags wants and yeah. turning them into the players that he needs. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point because to me the importance is I've argued for a couple of years that you know Brett Veach and his coaching staff or his uh, his front office staff and the scouts and everything uh, obviously they do a great job in identifying talent and they brought that talent in. There's a part of nature and nurture that goes into this to me in that. I don't know what Legereus Sneed would look like as a defensive player in the hands of a couple of different coordinators over his four years. Okay, this guy's a coordinator teaching it one way, he gets fired. They bring in another coordinator teaching it one way, okay, he gets fired. And now you're done with your rookie contract. What does Legereus Sneed look like? He's got all the traits. He's got, you know, the measurables, the things you can't teach. But he has been taught those things, and he's grown from his rookie year to now being viewed as a guy who's going to get a lot of money, a guy who on, you know, up and Adams says, uh, pay me, you know, <laughs> I hope they have enough money for, for both of us, for Chris Jones and me, but that would be great. But pay me. That's what I would say to the Kansas city chiefs. And somebody is going to pay him and he's made five, $6 million in his career so far total. So I don't begrudge the man going out and getting the most money that somebody will pay him. No. I say, good for you. Go do that. Go get the most money. If it's the chiefs, Hey, even better. But, one of the things that I think the Chiefs have definitely benefited from, and I think Brett Veach and the scouting department is, has they have benefited from, is that you you draft the guys with the traits, you draft the guys with the measurables, and now you put them in the hands of really good coaches that can mold them, that can teach the the technique the way that they want it taught, and then deploy them in ways that maximize their skill sets, and and that's what we've seen. And so, with those guys returning. I have all the faith in the world that the Chiefs will draft a defensive player and he'll be good because he'll come in and learn and go through the techniques and everything. And Joshua Williams, you know, he's not Legereus Sneed, but Trent McDuffie is pretty awesome. And I didn't know what they were going to do if they let Traverius Ward walk. And they did. And they replaced him with Trent McDuffie. And they had Trent McDuffie and Legereus Sneed. I don't know what they're going to do without Legereus Sneed, but I bet the defensive staff has an idea that they can figure out what they will do if he's not on this team. Yeah. You know, and there's a couple of things that, about Spags that makes me think, and one of them is kind of the long-term, one short-term. The long-term thing is, remember, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl with Steve Spagnuolo coaching a 4-3 defense with 3-4 personnel. Yeah. 
I mean, he took over a team that was not in any way whatsoever built for him Mm -hmm. and was just handed a, you know, group of players said, hey, Steve, make it work. We'll we'll go get the guys you want. We'll go get the talent that you need and the kind of players you like and everything. But, like, "Ah, just make it work. Made it work to win a Super Bowl in his first year. This year, and, you know, the thing we've talked about every year with Steve Spagnuolo is that, yeah, hey, it takes his teams a little while to get it down and everything. And then this this year was like, oh, this defense is so good, it didn't take any time. I mean, they just came out of the box. You know what? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it took 16 weeks for this team to find itself. <laughs> because as good as they were during the first 16 weeks of the season, between, like, week 17 to the Super Bowl, they were even better. So, you know, I mean, this team did get better throughout the season defensively. I mean, especially at the end of the year. I mean, the numbers for what the defense did in the playoffs this year. That's crazy. I mean, it's uh, the the first, second, or the first, third, fourth, and fifth best offenses in EPA. They played it in the playoffs and held them to under 16 points per game. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just is absurd that they would be able to do that. And, and I hope they get remembered historically um, for what they have done. I actually think, you know, there's a better chance of this even with Patrick Mahomes than maybe I would give it because so many people talking about Steve Spagnuolo last week and then, you know, this week and it being discussed that Steve Spagnuolo got a contract extension on national news, on on ESPN and all that. Like, Steve Spagnuolo is returning to the Chiefs. Like, that was a big deal. Um, And then Spags is on the Pat McAfee show, what, I think yesterday or or today. Um, I think it was yesterday. I mean... How many defensive coordinators are going on the Pat McAfee show? But he's on there because, hey, you're returning to the Chiefs. And so I, I and, and Chris Jones getting the love and Legereus Sneed on the uh, Up and Adams podcast that I do think there's probably a decent chance of this defense being remembered for how good they are and not just this was another Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes won. Where, you know, Todd and I were talking in the first hour that, you know, do people people forget so quickly that Von Miller was the MVP of that Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos beating the Carolina Panthers because that defense carried Peyton Manning to his second Super Bowl. Um, but it's, hey, Peyton Manning got a second Super Bowl. Look at that. Peyton Manning holding the trophy up there on stage. How amazing that is. Yeah, that defense was amazing. And that was the number one offense in the league in Carolina. And they stymied them and they shut them down. And that's the reason why that team won that Super Bowl. Even they get forgotten for how dominant that defense is. And they didn't have Patrick Mahomes there doing what he did at the end of uh, regulation and in overtime. I mean, you win three Super Bowls in five years. And let's even just put the asterisk next to it say this team's not done yet. So, you know, there's more to come as possibility. Mm-hmm. But when you even start talking about the guys who already have it, okay, Chris Jones has three rings. I mean, right now, borderline Hall of Fame case, yeah. and he's not done either. So, you know, you can certainly start building a case. Um, there's other players that are on this team that you now can start thinking about. Legereus Sneed's got two rings, and, you know, I mean, after this, he's probably going to get the Pro Bowl and all-pro respect that he deserves. Yeah. So now he's going to probably start making those teams after he's been it's funny, overlooked. Donnie Edwards didn't get it until he left to go to a new team yeah. as well. He was a free agent, was a big-time free agent signing by the Charger, and then it's like, oh, this guy's really good. Maybe we should vote for him for Pro Bowl and, and yeah. other you know postseason awards. But you get some of these guys on the defensive side with three, four, five rings, they're going to be able to start making some cases for Hall of Fame cases. Yep. You know, Steve Spagnuolo gets another ring or two. He's a Hall of Famer in my book. I, agree I mean, with that. I mean, that's just you know, you talk about one of the best the coordinators of all time. I mean, that's the conversation that he would go into, and I fully expect. I mean, there's going to be some guys on this offense. We know Mahomes. We know Kelsey will be Hall of Famers. There's other potential Hall of Famers on there too. I mean, you know, they're young careers, but Creed Humphrey, 
potential Hall of Famer. I mean, certainly on his way. If he can play ten more years at this level, he just roll right up to the uh, Hall of Fame. He could. Yeah. Sorry, that was uh, that was unnecessary. They won wow. the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl. That was unnecessary. Was... They won the Super Bowl. Come on. <laughs> I am thinking Chris Jones is getting close to Joe Green territory. He's basically one ring away, and Joe Green had two Defensive Player of the Years, obviously. So I think getting one of those and another ring, you could make an argument. I mean, I know everyone says Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald, but he has one ring, and yeah. Yeah. Chris Jones is stacking championships. Three of them, and we'll see if he gets more. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, and I'll ask Matt Derrick about that. Chris Jones had some things to say on the stage um, that may have been uh, alcohol-induced, uh, <laughs> but we'll ask uh, Matt Derrick about uh, what that means And uh, as this team moves forward and gets into the offseason. you got one week off next week, and that's it, because then it's the combine, and it's then you got um, the uh, the franchise tag deadline on March 5th. We are less than a month away from free agency opening up. You play in the Super Bowl, man. There really isn't an offseason at that point. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. More Zone next. All right, wrapping up the sour with Matt Derrick, presented by Cap One Lending. Chief Digest and 41 is the Mike podcast. All right, uh, how much weight do you put into, besides like 300 plus uh, for Chris Jones, how much weight do you put into his words, not his body, but his words of, I'll be back next year, I ain't going anywhere, and next year, and the next year, and the next year. Uh, was that alcohol-induced, or was he actually speaking from the heart, and that's what he really wants, depending on if the numbers match up. And as I've said, depending on if he's willing to meet the Chiefs at their number. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, it's what he wants. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chiefs want that, too. I mean, I'm sure Chiefs and Chris both want a pony. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) I guess we'll see if that happens as well. Um, maybe that's what the Chiefs need. I mean, Chris, we'll they give could, you a, we'll give you twenty four million and a pony a year. They could both um, afford it, by the way. Yeah, can we can we can we get a deal done? Just ask um, my wife and uh, her family how much a pony is, since she had one as a child. But go yeah, ahead. let's just let's just say when they sit down the negotiations with, with uh, the Katz brothers, if if Brett just says, "Well, Chris said he at the parade he wants to be here," so you know. I'm sure they'll say I, we don't. Well, it's so we don't remember that. No, it's, no. What do you? Yeah. I don't remember hearing people, that. So. People say lots of things. Yes. So, but also they work for Chris Jones, right? Um, and if he really is that serious about it, that I want to return, and if this is the best contract I can get from the Chiefs, then take the best contract that the Chiefs can offer. Don't just say take whatever they'll give, and the Chiefs yeah. like, oh, we'll give you five million a year. No, let's negotiate. And if you feel like the Chiefs are at their cap. This is this this is our our um, our breaking off point. They got there with uh, Tyron Matthew. They got there with Tyreek Hill. They got there with Trent Williams. They got there with Orlando Brown. They got there with Chris Jones last year. This is the the point to where we are done when they get their signing. Yeah, and I think Chris is going to be. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. Apparently, you're fine. Um, Chris, I think is going to be complicated because he's got a lot of priorities. I mean, yes, he would like to win. Yes, he'd like to stay in Kansas City. He would like to be, I think, closer to home in Miami. He would like to be the highest paid defensive tackle in, in the league. Can't have all those things. Yeah. So he's going to have to just decide what his priorities are and which ones he wants the most. Well, while he's down in Miami, he can talk to Tyreek Hill about the extra money that he got from the Dolphins and the uh, lighter hand that he's walking around no with. State, no state income tax, Jason. That's true. See, so, so. There is a lot more money there, but um, uh, Tyreek has a lighter hand and free fingers. That is true. Not three. No. Free. Chris Jones only has two free. Well, he's married, so Chris Jones only has one finger. <laughs> 
Well, got, his, I was going to say he's got five more on the other hand. He's only got <laughs> – there you go. Matt, you're the man. Matt Tate next.